Every couple I've ever met and had the privilege of marrying has had to make a key decision. And the key decision is, do I forsake and move away from my independence into this relationship fully with the belief that we are better together? And that's why we do pre-marriage counselling, because it helps people recognise where they like to cling on to their independence and where they perhaps might delay that dependence down in order to step into something that they really truly want, but there comes a cost at it. Now, Lyndall and I, we've been married for 20 years, and I know you may well think we have the perfect marriage, and you'd be fairly accurate, yes? However, it wasn't always that way. When we first got married, Lyndall did the strangest, most bizarre thing ever. And I'll explain and we'll see who ends where, see if any of you are weird like Lyndall or sensible like me. So when we would go on holidays, for example, we went on our honeymoon and we came back from our honeymoon. And you know that moment when you get back from holidays and you're exhausted. You're just done, like you should be pumped because you've been on holidays, but you're just tired. And what you do is you come in and you can leave the bags in the car, right? You come in, you sit down on the couch, you grab a drink, you grab the remote and you've made it home and you click it on and it's happy days. That's how it happened when we got back from our honeymoon for me. Turns out that there's another approach to what happens when you should get home from from your holidays and that is that you lug all the bags in and you make sure you go past the laundry and you put all the dirty washing in there and then you take the bags to the various rooms and you spend the next however long it may take unpacking those bags, right? Absolute madness, I realise, I realise this. So as I'm sitting on the couch, Lyndall's unpacking the bags and she gets a bit louder and louder about how those suitcases are moved around and how that, those, that washing is distributed and what she really truly thinks. And she comes to the point where she's just just a bit livid. And she's like, Ralph, you just, you need to contribute. I'm like, are you crazy? We've just been hard at work on holidays. We should relax and take it easy. Now, show of hands, if there's any sensible people like me amongst us, are there any people keen like me? Tim, nice. Yes, we're all guys. Oh, maybe Wendy, okay. Um, okay, maybe a little bit. Any, any, any that would fall fair and square in the Lindell camp? Carrie Wood. Carrie Wood, yeah. yeah. Lindell will be here just like rolling her eyes, go, I can't believe you've even made this a thing. It's ridiculous, Ralph. You tidy up. Now, 20 years of practice I've had that now I am well programmed that when we get back from holidays, I'm on it. We're tidying everything up as quick as possible so I can sit on the couch and grab a drink. And relax but part of the transition was I had to realize oh, I can't have it all my way and that's marriage right oh, I can't have it all my way it's an act of trust that we can't have it all our way and we trust in this thing that we're entering into that should mean that it's better together but we're trusting in that which we want it but we're trusting in that and we know that marriages break down when we retain our independence, when we hold tight to that, and it's my way or the highway, and marriages break down. If, partic- if each person in a marriage starts doing things devoid of how the other person feels or how life works. Now, why I share this is because it's really similar to what's happening in the midst of our church at the moment. 
We are, for those of you that, that, are, that are new amongst us, this is the 4 p.m. service and there's a 9 a.m. service and in two, and a half, two months we're going to join to be a single service at 10 o'clock. And so we're going to be a single service and a single church. At the moment we're two different churches, so we'll be a single church, we're all coming together. And the morning congregation is quite different to this congregation. They are more wise in years. There's a reason, there's a sign out the front that says this is a more modern service and the morning service is more traditional. So we're bringing these two entities together. And it has to work around a central belief that we all hold that we are better together. Because if we don't hold that, we're never going to step into what that relationship is and that new space is. We will cling to how we want it and there will be conflict. And it will happen both ways. But the interesting thing about our marriage is it's an arranged marriage by God. Like when we all started, none of us were really keen for it. In this group and in the morning group, no one was keen for it. It was a ridiculous idea we felt came from God. And as we've pursued this through, we've realized it is from God. And God has arranged this marriage to take place. And because it's God's arrangement, what really matters and how we are better together is when we come together and we are about God and we're about the things that God wants to do in our church and in Burley. And that will mean, this is hard, it will mean that we'll have to let go of some stuff. We're not even sure what that stuff might be yet, but there'll be stuff we have to let go of. And some of it, for some of us, it'll be hard work. And for some of us, it'll be cruisy and easy. And for others, it'll be a real struggle and perhaps everything in between. But we do it because we're better together. Jesus, when he was talking, he was actually praying with his disciples. And in John 17, he says, my prayer is not just for them alone, not just the 12 that are sitting around the table. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. So Jesus is praying for us. He says, I pray that all of them may be one. So that the church believers we might be one like just as Jesus is one with God the Father so we are meant to have the oneness and the completeness and the the sharing and the marriage that the Father Son and Holy Spirit in the context of Trinity experience wow because Jesus goes on to pray says that kind of oneness will change the world People will look at that intensity of love and care that spills out from there and that will change the world. And that's why Jesus prays it for us, that we would reflect the oneness Father, Son and Holy Spirit have. So what an adventure this promise is to be. It's going to be exciting. Have you ever gone on an adventure where it's gone wrong? Just think for a moment. Been an adventure where it's gone wrong? I've been on tons of adventures where it's got wrong, gone wrong. I went on one particular adventure where I went to take uh, photos and to, before I went to do that, I was down in Melbourne um, and it was a couple of years ago and we were staying at Lyndall's parents' place and I borrowed their car to go and scout around a few locations to see if I could find a great position to take a sunset photograph. And so we drive all the way, I'm driving out, I'm about three k's away from where they live, park the car, I jump out, I have a look, I'm like, nah, that's not it. I jump back in the car and I turn the key and it's as dead as a doornail. Like, you are kidding me. And like, it was about five and sunset was about six. And I was like, oh, 3K away. And I start looking around, like I pick up my phone and my phone, it was like the one dead area 
in all of Victoria. I happen to be sitting right in the epitome of it. I'm like, my phone is useless. There's no cars around. And then I spy to my left, thinking the, the house is 3K that way. About, about 800 metres a K this way is a farmhouse. I'm like, oh, it's a gamble. But if I can get a phone and talk to, the Mar talk to Lyndall, she can come get me. I'm going to risk walking the K this way away from the house. So I walk the K and I walk up to the farm door and I knock on the door of the, of the farmhouse and guess what happens? No one's in. No one's in. I'm like, you're joking. I'm like banging on the door, trying to kick it in. No one's in. And I, I look down the road and uh, 500 metres down the road, which happens to be in the opposite direction of the house, there's another farmhouse. I'm like, oh... You know when things are going bad, but you're like, they get worse? Surely th that one looks habitated, habit inhabited. And so I wander the 500 metres, carrying my camera gear, which is about 20 kilos, because I can't lock it in the car, because the car's dead as a doornail, and the electronic locking system doesn't work. So I get to the house, I knock on the door, no one in. I'm like, oh, wonderful, I'm four and a half k's away from where I need to be now. And so I start the trek back. Now they live on the other side of a weir and to get to their place you have to walk on the side of this two-lane road in the dirt. So it's, there's no pavement, it's not civilised, nothing like that. So I'm walking on the dirt and you walk all the way down this hill, which is great until you have to walk all the way up the hill on the other side. And I'm halfway up the hill on the other side and I'm spent and the sun is going down. And I'm like, this was meant to be amazing. I'm meant to take a great photograph and I'm ticked. And I just pause for a minute, I turn around and I see this. I'm like, ooh, ooh, I'm gonna get my camera out. And so I got my camera out and that's the photo that I took that day. Now, I took the photo, put my camera in my bag, got home, it was dark. Linda was a bit worried. Like, she, she was terrified, absolutely petrified. She was like, oh my, worried out of the skin. She was probably a bit like, where's Ralph? He should be home by about now, but he's not. Yeah, kind of typical. I get home, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm a bit annoyed because it was Lyndall's dad's car. It's your father-in-law's car, father -in -law's car, right? So you got that mixed in with it, with it all. And I get there and, I, and I, I'm like, adventures, they, they can seem like wonderful, great, exciting things until it all goes wrong. But here's the truth about an adventure. It's never quite over. We, we tend to, as adventures go forward, they become difficult or become scared or it becomes hard or they demand something from us or they become intimidating or it's uncertain. But the adventure's never quite over. And that's how the Israelites felt. When they had walked through the desert for 40 years, 40 years they've been walking through the desert on this adventure. And it had been an adventure. They had been given quail and manna, which is like bread, every morning for 40 years. And every evening for 40 years they were well looked after. But they'd had to come against some threats and fight them off. They'd seen the passing, the death of an entire generation of people in these 40 years. They'd followed, they trusted, they disobeyed God, and their cherished leader, Moses, hadn't made it to the finish line. He passed away. And now they're on the banks of the Jordan River. And we read this at the start of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, that, that was his dad's name, it didn't mean he was an orphan, Moses' aid, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now, one of the problems they face is we don't realize it from here. But if you jump forward two chapters to verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. That's the Jordan River in flood. Show of hands, who's keen? God says, let's just walk across the river. This is going to be great. Keen? Like, oh, oh, hold on. That, that's, uh-huh. that's a little bit challenging. That's not just like a little bit of, of water here and there. That is a, a real adventure, God. Just walk through. Just follow you through and you're going to give us the whole land. It's going to happen like that, is it, God? Now, nowadays, when the Jordan floods, it's actually quite civilized. The land has been developed. There's dams put in. The water's been channeled. There's farming irrigation. But 3,300 years ago, when this story took place, it was like the Wild West. It was dangerous. It was untamed. It was unpredictable. It was absolutely unnerving. And God has the audacity to say, we're just going to walk through watch it's going to be great now i know how that feels i know how the feeling feels of like oh you're you're kidding we we've set up an implementation team to implement the amalgamation that's going to happen in a couple of months and we've been meeting every two weeks and every meeting we've been asking the question what does church services and stuff look like on a sunday every single meeting And every single meeting, we would throw around, you name it, you you wouldn't be able to name an option that we haven't looked at and interrogated and explored and prayed about and talked through. And we had all these solutions in front of us and we're like, well, what do we do? And it was this real moment of not somebody petitioning for, we need to do this, of all of us going, oh, we just don't know what to do. And so we realized this this last meeting we had was, was building that we had to make a decision because all the other decisions we needed to make hinged on what this decision was. And I remember praying this silent prayer of like, God, what do you want us to do? Like, help us, would you? It's like, it's like the Jordan River is there, and well, what now? And as I said that, somebody in the meeting said the following words. They said, I do not want to go to church at 10 a.m., but I think we have to. And all of us went, huh, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. That's what we have to do. It was like these words broke open something spiritually. It was a sense of like, oh, yes. And there was, there, was, there was nothing logically obvious about that choice. It was really God speaking through and saying, this is the decision you need to make. And once we made it, once we said, okay, that's, that's, that's the first step. All right, we're taking the step everything else just lined up there's just a sense of it is the right decision and sure it's uncomfortable it's messy and it's difficult but that is the decision that we have to do it felt like we heard god as clearly as the israelites heard god on the day when they stood in front of the jordan river and god's direction it required the israelites to move from one state of being to a completely new state of being to embrace a possibility of the promised land but they had to do it together. In this whole story, there's never a mention of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the people of God. They are the nation of of Israel, but they they are not segregated. They had to do it together because God knew for them to inhabit the promised land, they had to be better together. They needed to do it together. They were divided. There's no doubt about it. 
if you spoke to any of the tribes, you say, how, how are you going? Is it, is it going well with all the other tribes? They'd be like, 40 years in the desert? Are you mad? We hate them. But God looks at them and says, no, no, you're just one deal. You, you just hold the, I don't, I'm not acknowledging the division in you. You are one people and you are my people. They had differences, but not to God. They each had different things to lose and gain, but God knew that they were better together. And so his promise is said to a unified people, not a fractured people. I will give you every place where you set your foot, just as I promised Moses. Now, those words, I will give you every place where you set your foot there, they're important words to us. When we started Village, so when we started what is now 4 p.m. service, which was five and a half years ago, maybe six years ago, a guy called Mike Pilavachi came and ministered at New Life. And I went, I'm sure a couple of you went, I went there. And because I was on staff at New Life, I had the opportunity to meet with Mike and the team. And they'd found out that we were planning the church like the next week. And so they prayed for, for me. And as they prayed for me, one of the, their teams said, God has just given me a word and I just want to offer it and, and see what happens. And that word is Joshua 1, 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot. And you remember when we, we then, we, we'd started village and we were going along and then we decided that we were going to pray for every person in Burley. We're going to walk every street over three to six months and pray for every single household and every single people. That was on the back of this verse. I will give you every place where you set your foot. And then we come to today, as we look toward what it means to merge and to become one, and it springs up again. I will give you every place where you set your foot. God is gifting us this future with him. It is a gift. It is not something for us to freak out or run away from, or, ah, oh, what have we lost? Or is it gonna be hard? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's a gift from God and then God proceeds to explain what it looks like to the Israelites this is sort of like gene up he says the promised land let me let me tell you what it's about and he gives them his perspective so God's perspective on things it says this in verse 4 your territory now just think about this for a sec they knew a general geography they didn't have maps they didn't hadn't walked through the story already and they're looking back so, so God is speaking to them about rumors and urban legends that they've heard and things that have been circulating and landmarks. And he says, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. He was basically saying as, as broad as you can think, that's what I have for you. And no one will be able to stand against you. You need not fear any of the, the, um, the obstacles or, or threat that you encounter because no one will be able to stand against you. Now, these were a people that didn't have their own land. They'd never had their own land. Just think about that for a minute. They'd never had land and God is saying, I'm going to give you land and it's not that you have to wander through it or look at it from a distance or you're on the way to somewhere else. You get to dwell there. You get to live there. It gets to be yours and I will dwell amongst you was mind-boggling for a people that had never understood their identity like that. And God says, it's right through the river. Just follow me. I've got this for you. Just follow me. That's the dream. Now, let me translate that dream for the Israelites to, the, to God's dream for us. As God looks at us and he looks into our future, 
God's dream is a church that is filled with children and youth and young adults and parents and single people, those senior and wiser in years, professionals, the homeless, creatives, the illiterate, entrepreneurs, the broken, the healed, people with disability. That is God's dream for our church. God's dream is a dream of where people are coming to faith every single week and that we're getting baptized every single month. It's a church which heart breaks for this community, for people in this community who are struggling, who, who, who are hungry and need feeling, feeding, who are single mums and they're trying to support and get through life, for people that are struggling with mental health, people that are in domestic violence situations. This is a church that will be known by its love, so much so that others go, that is, how, how do you do that? How do you just keep on loving? It's a church where marriages are strengthened, where parents are resourced, where lonely people get to say, I, I belong there, where the sick are visited, where healings take place, where prophetic words are spoken, where Jesus is obeyed, where people understand how they are uniquely gifted and sacrifice to give that, where people are resourced to live the other six and a half days a week when you're not at church, when you're in your workplace or with your, with your neighbour or you're amongst strangers or you're trying to, to love somebody who's sick in your life or connect with someone that, that's estranged. It's a church where the arts will be celebrated and exhibited and enjoyed, bringing the beauty of God more and more into this world, where people are known deeply and they know others deeply, a church that prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. That's our promised land. That's what is ahead of us. God's dream is of a church where he already knows we are better together. And he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, does anyone know who this character is? Very good, Greg. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian, a German pastor, and he was actually imprisoned in a prisoner of war camp in the Second World War for being part of the plan and plot to assassinate Hitler. So you can put that together in your head about how that all comes to be. He spent his life trying to work it out. And in the working of it out, he wrote an enormous amount of, of sermons and of books and of essays that have enriched the way Western Christianity thinks about discipleship. But maybe the most profound thing about Dietrich was every morning and every evening of his adult life, he would pray a single prayer. I do not understand your ways, God, but you know the way for me. I do not understand your ways, God, but you know the way for me. See, when we are together, when we're committed to one another and God is with us, no river can drown us or sweep us away. No enemy can overcome us or destroy us. No change can deny or steal our identity. No one is left behind. No one is forgotten. No one gets to sit on the sidelines. We may not understand God's ways, but he knows the way forward for us. 
and how those fears must have lingered in Joshua's heart, in the hearts of the, of the Israelites that day. So God utters some words that are simply breathtaking. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And for a long time, I'd not really appreciated the fullness of this verse. For a long time, I'd just be like, yeah, be, be strong and courageous. Thanks, God. That, that, sounds, that sounds good. And I'd missed out those first, those first four or five words where it starts, where God says, <clears throat> Joshua, have I not commanded you? Like already, we've been through this before, Joshua. Have I not said it? Have you had any evidence that I can't back it up? Have I not commanded you? That, that phrase, commanded you, isn't like Ten Commandments commanded. It's not like, oh, if you do it or not, you're in trouble. It's, it's the word that a, a leader of an army would speak into his people as they went to war. It was the charge. And so God is, is drawing close to Joshua and he's charging him up for the challenge that awaits. Now, when I was in grade 11, I wanted to be a vet. Yeah, thank goodness that didn't happen for all those poor animals out there. And I did my work experience with a vet. And when we were in the car, he was uh, sort of a farm vet, so he would deal with a lot of cattle. And so he, we jump in the car on this particular day and he puts in my, hands me a thing that I'm not sure if it was a, a, a lightsaber. It was about the size of a, a, a microphone. It looks similar to this. And I'm starting to, to look at this thing and I'm fiddling with it. Just like, I wonder what this does. Just like turning it around and having a bit of a squeeze. So we get to the cattle yard where we're going and he jumps out and takes the lightsaber from me and walks up to the cattle and jumps over the fence and starts doing his vet thing. And I'm just watching from the sidelines and there's this real stubborn cow. Cow won't move. You wouldn't believe what happened next. The vet takes the lightsaber that he entrusted me with and whacks it on the back of the cow, on the rump of the cow. And I've never seen a lump of beef move so quickly this cow took off it's like what is that turns out it was a cattle prod which i nearly stuck into my thigh to see what it did to me and to this day i'm thankful that my fiddling didn't result in that but these words that god speaks to the to joshua and the israelites be strong and courageous it's a cattle prod it's a giddy up get going this is important. I want to infuse you with this. I want to smack you around the head with this. I want you to know this because of all the stuff you're going to face. And God wants to say to you guys today that aside from the church stuff, the stuff that you're facing in your life, God wants to cattle prod you with this. Not to move you forward, but to wake you up to the point that you need to be strong and you need to be courageous and you don't need to be afraid and you don't need to be discouraged. Why? Because we have something far better than the promised land. We have something far better than circumstances working out and things getting better. We have God. I will be with you wherever you go, God says. It's interesting. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He doesn't say, I will be with you if you go through the Jordan River. But if you don't, <laughs> I'm going through and I'll see you like see you on the other side or you just forget it he doesn't say wherever you go if you go through the Jordan I'm with you but if you can't I'm with you 
And I wonder if some of you just need to know that tonight, that whatever you face, whatever's ahead of you, God is with you and God is enough. We shouldn't hope in a promised land. We hope in God who takes us in to the promised land. We don't hope in circumstances getting better. We hope in God who has the ability to either change us or change things. And he just says, he goes, don't doubt me. You can trust me. I've got you. I'm with you. It's okay. So this week, on, uh, I, I received an email from someone in the morning congregation and they didn't know what I was preaching on. And they said to me, Ralph, you need to tell everyone Joshua 1.9. They need to hear that God is saying it to them. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That was sent to me on Friday morning when I'd already written the sermon. So, if God is not trying to be clear with us, that whether it's in church or in life or further afield, whatever it is, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid of those things. Don't let them discourage you because God, the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go, whatever you choose to do.